GOE 2023. Here My we are. Goodness, it's good to be here. <laughs> this was a, one of the best conferences last year that I had been to. And then I found out it was double the size this year. It, so, it's double the size? Yes. This is massive, massive. Uh, the who's who of geospatial, no doubt. Walking around, of course, you got the Boston Dynamic dog running around, and yeah. guys walking around with uh, you know wearable scanners, and you name it, it's here. This is going to be amazing. And our good, our new good friends XYHT are right across the right across the road from yes, us. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. There's Chuck. There's Chuck. He doesn't hear me. He can't hear you. Hey! There he is. There he is. <laughs> yep. So here we are, day one. Um, gonna have some awesome interviews lined up. This first one's gonna be amazing. So uh, stay tuned. All right, we got a good one here. Kick off uh, Geo Week twenty twenty first interview of the yep. conference. Day one. Now, so we're really energetic right now. Yes. And by the end of the third day, <laughs> we're going to be like stumbling over every word we say, and it's just going to be a. But uh, the energy is lively right now. It That's is. What I can it is. Say. And the, uh, the exhibit hall is just getting ready to open up here in about two minutes, as a matter All right. of fact. Yeah. So good timing. Be a steady stream of people. All right, let's get on with this. Our first guest, uh, Stefan. I will let you do a self introduction. Introduction, tell everybody your name and uh, the company you're with and what you do for that company. Sure, thanks. No, great, great opportunity to be on the podcast and uh, I'd like to be number one, so thank you. Um, so I'm Stefan Hrober, I'm CEO and co-founder of Emerson. Um, we're a company based out of Brisbane, Australia, um, and we provide autonomous digitalization solutions. Um, so we're background is in, in robotics, um, previously in CSIRO, which is Australia's National Research Lab. Okay. And uh, my background's in robotics, been doing robotics and autonomous drones for the last 25 years almost. Yeah. And then founded, or co-founded this company to commercialize some of the tech we'd been developing in the, in the research lab. Got it. Well, this is going to be good because one of my favorite shows on TV, I think it's on the Discovery Channel, is BattleBots. You ah, ever see that? Yes. Oh my gosh, some of the robots, like these people are developing and they're just like destructive and it's crazy. Now I'm just curious if that's just like so rudimentary robotics to you and we think it's well, so cool and that's like that's like the first class you take and, yeah, then, and then it right, goes way right, up yeah, from there. Yeah. No, it's definitely cool. I mean, I enjoy watching it as well, but I wouldn't call it a robot. A robot is something that, that's intelligent and sort of mm. acting it for itself. So oh. yeah, those things are basically, yeah, radio-controlled, yep. crazy machines. But I Yeah, so it just glorified RC cars <laughs> Yeah, and you're doing actual robotics. Yeah. We'll go into that a little bit and like you just said, expand on that. Like what is robotics and how did you take that from robotics into drones? So, I mean, obviously a general concept in robotics is something as a, as a machine that's got to perceive the world, um, understand the world, make decisions, and then, and then act in that world. So, I mean, that's been done obviously for a long time on, on, on sort of ground vehicles. And then with drones sort of uh, becoming more available and popular over the last 20 odd years, it's, it's, it's extended to drones, but in, initially drones were just uh, mainly flown by people. Um, so. That means you have to be a very skilled expert pilot to fly in, in a place that's potentially really challenging. Maybe you don't have GPS or you have to fly up in, inside a structure to inspect it. So that's really challenging for a person to do. So what we've done is taken the sort of the general concepts in robotics using sensors, and in our case, a LiDAR sensor, and turned the drone or into an autonomous drone. So it's actually hmm. using the data in real time to sense its environments, make decisions, and make it easier for a person to fly or play, fly into places where there's no way a human could operate the drone because it's going beyond line of sight, beyond communication range. So what are some examples of those scenarios? 
So for us, the our primary use case is underground mining. Mm. Oh, okay. So uh, many places underground where um, they need to capture data. Um, it's a critical part of their everyday operation, but it's just too dangerous to send people. And these areas are inaccessible. You can't send a ground vehicle in there because the, the, the terrain is just too, too tough. Mm -hmm. So we basically were the first to uh, start commercializing a solution, a drone-based solution that okay. could fly into these areas beyond line of sight and, and uh, scan and capture data. Um, I just can't believe you didn't call it a canary. <laughs> there you go. That was taken. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. Yeah, okay. So the name, uh, Emicent, yeah. where did that come from? Uh, it's, a, it's a mashup of a couple of words associated with robotics and autonomy. So the first part is uh, emergent, um, and the second part is sentience. Um, oh. So I'm not saying we're doing emergent sentient robotics, but it's just yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a new word that we formed by combining some, some interesting words from our field. Yeah, yep. so I, I have seen drones used in uh, underground mining applications before, but the ones that I've seen have almost like a cage built around yep. it. Yep. Is, so that's no longer needed with the technology you guys are developing? Um, so we basically form a virtual cage around the drone okay. using the LiDAR data in real time. So okay. our, our autonomy creates a virtual bubble around the drone. Mm -hmm. There's still very strong use cases for using those kind of drones because mm -hmm. they can fit into much smaller ca uh, spaces. That's the, the drone with the physical cage. And you can, they can basically bounce off things. Mm -hmm. um, for us, yeah, I mean, we, we, we do this virtual cage. We can still fly into to small places, but not as small because we're carrying, the drone has to pa carry our payload, which mm -hmm. obviously um, means it needs to be a bit, a bit of a bigger drone. Got it. Got Is it. there an increased payload with the, you know, you got to have something to process this. And I mean, I'm guessing it's more than just a, a drone in a cage, right? Yeah. So for us, I mean, our, our, our core product, the hardware side of it is, is what we call Hovermap. So that's a LiDAR scanning device um, with um, processing power as well. So, I mean, I've got one here with me today, so you can, you can see it. Oh, have to yeah, go, yeah, for those listening, you'll have to go to our website. But it's basically um, a LiDAR scan, a LiDAR puck, um, which ro we rotate to give a full spherical field of view. Yeah. And then we run a SLAM algorithm on board in real time to process that data and then run our autonomy algorithms in real time. So that, that yeah. device weighs around 1.6 kilograms. Okay. So you need a drone that's big enough to, mm. to, to carry that. That's not as heavy as I, I, I pictured, I guess. Like mm -hmm. that, that's, that's pretty manageable. Yeah. Well, I think the technology has come so far that, I mean, it used to be a lot heavier. You know, yeah. now yeah. It's, they're able to make it, you know, with different materials and it's just much more lightweight and uh, allows you to do stuff like exactly yeah, yeah. what you guys are doing. Yeah, for sure. How long did it take to go from idea to concept to the thing that's sitting on the table here? Um, I mean, the, the the foundational work started 15 years ago in, in CSIRO. So, I mean, I did my PhD on autonomous drones more than 20 years ago. So it's kind of been building on that for a long time. And then um, within our robotics group, there was a team working on SLAM algorithms for ground robot navigation. Mm. Um, and then they realized actually that a useful output is actually the maps, the point clouds. Ah. So um, yep. we, we basically got the idea of, of taking SLAM, um, running that in real time on the drone with a LiDAR. And that, that was first around 2014 when we got that idea of putting that in a modular payload that you could use on the drone, but then also hmm. take off the drone and use it as a handheld scanner, put it on a backpack, put it on a ground robot, um, put it on a vehicle. So that's kind of... yeah. That's uh, one of the, the, the most sort of important aspects of Hovermap today is the versatility, the fact that you can use it on almost anything as a scanning device. When it's on the drone, it automates the drone flight for and, you. And you said you guys were the first to develop that commercially? Yeah, yeah, for, for autonomous underground mm. um, drone flight, yeah. 
Awesome. So you mentioned the word slam a handful of times already in this discussion. So for Sean's benefit and the benefit of many of our listeners, potentially, explain what slam is. Yeah, sure. I kind of take it for granted um, because it's got more common these days, but a lot of people still don't know what it is. So it stands for simultaneous localization and mapping. Um, It's a concept that was developed for robotic applications many years ago because if you're sending a a robot into a world that it's never seen before, it's got to build a map of the world and it's got to figure out where it is in that map. So Mm. it's kind of a chicken and egg problem because if you don't have a map, you can't localize. And if you can't localize, you can't build a map. So the way it's done is in an iterative process. So we we basically do little snapshot maps um, in time. And then we compare those maps and look for unique features that can be tracked between the little snapshot maps. So by looking at finding a feature, and for us that could be you know, thousands of um, points in the environment, mm-hmm. And by seeing how they move in the reference frame of the device, you can figure out how the device is re- moving relative to those mm-hmm. features. Okay. So, so it's hmm. incrementally you build up the trajectory to figure out how the device is moving. Yep. Um, and from that, you can once you figure out how the device is moving, you can project all your points out into a common coordinate frame and build a map. So that's the mapping, the mapping part of it. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. Super cool. So. Um, is it is it just soft? Is it just hardware that you guys are developing, or is there a software component to that as well? Um, our core IP is actually the software. So okay. there's the Slam algorithm part mm-hmm. of it itself, um, which is out of CSIRO, the, the lab that we were um, part of, mm-hmm. and then all the autonomy um, algorithms that build on top of that. So that's our core IP is the, the okay. autonomy that makes the drone autonomous, yep. and then we have our own sort of desktop post processing app that allows you to do the proce- processing, view the data. And now doing some analytics on the data as well. So yeah. Yeah. So what are you most excited about, like, currently and say five years from now? Um, I think for us, the ex- the exciting thing is just seeing how many new applications and use cases that our customers are starting to, to use Hovermap for that we mm. haven't even thought of before. Yep. Um, and that's that's the, the exciting thing for me to to go around and, and visit our customers and potential customers and seeing what they're doing with the device. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the future, I think, yeah, I mean, to me, the, the, the whole sort of field of robotics autonomy um, is, to me, it's always been a no-brainer. Like, I've always believed that there are going to be autonomous systems in the mm. world around us doing all kinds of useful things. And it's yep. exciting that that's finally happening. So we're having industries adopted drones, like it's, it's a no-brainer now. You, mm-hmm. There are drones being used widely in, in industry, and that's expanding. And I think the next step is, is kind of the... Um, working up the value chain in the analytics as well to close the loop. So if you've got an autonomous systems that's in the world capturing data and mm-hmm. it knows the data is going to be used um, in an analytics workflow, it can adjust its path in real time to capture the data that's most appropriate for analytics. So you end up having a, this full closed loop system that's autonomously exploring an environment, capturing data in a way that it knows is going to be mm. captured best for the, for the end use case. Yeah. And then that expands across through to sort of making something like an entire mine site mm-hmm. as autonomous as possible with multiple systems out there capturing data, feeding right. that back to you know the central brain which processes the data and figures out what needs to be ne- done next, and then the autonomous systems going out and actually yep. making a change in the world. So um, a lot of autonomy being discussed as well, right? Yeah, I'm sure we're going to get into some more. Uh, <laughs> what, yeah. our, how worried are Crazy. we about sentient beings and the machines yeah. taking over? And I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure he's got some fail safes that make us all <laughs> feel better. I know I'm not supposed to worry about that, uh, uh, but I am curious. What is you know as much as you can say, like you know, if there's a 2.0 of of, of what you got here, what what you know, what's what's the next product going to be, or what's right. the next innovation? 
Um, I'm, I mean, on the hardware side of things, obviously smaller, lighter, um, uh, as much as we can, obviously get it on smaller drones. Yeah. We're using an off-the-shelf LiDAR pack, so that's kind of one of the limitations. I mean, those devices are typically used on autonomous cars, so they're not trying to miniaturize them and make them lighter. So advancements in, in, in LiDAR. And then, yeah, from, from our side, the advancements in the autonomy. So um, going places that you know previously weren't uh, possible to go and making the system more intelligent. And then with the SLAM algorithm itself, there's still tons of room for improvement there um, to make it more robust, bring in other sources of uh, estimation. So if you're, if you're outdoors and you've got GPS, you can use mm -hmm. that in the SLAM solution because usually you don't need GPS. Um, mm -hmm. Or if you've got cameras, you can use cameras in the loop as well. So just yeah. bringing in as much data as possible to make the system as robust as possible um, and provide more, more data that can be used. Love it. And you're, uh, so the core, core market's mining. I see you also do some uh, infrastructure oh, yeah, construction. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of uh, so about 60% of our market, market is mining. Okay. Um, but then we've got, yeah, a massive market outside of mining um, in AEC survey um, and more and more in sort of security and defense as well. So a lot, oh, a okay. Of, a lot of use cases. Uh, is there any markets you're looking to expand into? Yeah, or so the security and defense is, uh, is a big sort of new market for us. I'm getting good traction there. Yep. Um, and with our latest product, the Hovermap STX, um, it really is a survey-grade device. So now it's kind of, you can do things with a SLAM-based device in the survey world that probably weren't, wasn't possible before. Um, if you take this device to, together with our, our ground control point workflow, you're getting survey-grade mm. data out of a slam-based slam device. So yep. it's, it's opening up new sort of survey opportunities for us as well. You, you just made Kent very happy because you talked about survey-grade and ground-truthing in the same sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, I was going to really hammer on my ground-truthing. <laughs> now I don't have to. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously, if you... I mean, not just to improve the, uh, the quality of the slam, but as yeah. checkpoints, it's like to actually get a, a quality measure of, of your, yeah. your data set as well. So, yeah, that's, that's critical for survey. Awesome. Uh, what else? Anything else? Uh, just one last question. What did you, uh, I'm curious, because uh, like, you said you did your, your master's thesis basically on this technology. Like, what is it like, you know, knowing early on in your career what you want to do and interested in and being able to do that for, yeah. you know, as long as you have. I mean, obviously over 20 yeah, yeah. years now. Yeah. I guess I've got to realize it's a bit of a privilege and unusual because my, my son, my older son now is, is going to leave high school in a year's time and he's got no clue what he wants to do. So. Right. But for me, I've always wanted, I've always building, was always building things and wanted to be an engineer. So I went straight into engineering and then wanted to get into, actually into, into animatronics, so for, mm. for movie effects. Oh, yeah. Started doing that a bit, then I realized there wasn't really any AI into it. So then the next thing was robotics and I always wanted yeah. to, was uh, sort of always flying model airplanes. And so the combination of robotics and flying things led me to, to drone research. Um, so I did my PhD on, on drones. And like I said, back then I, I was, you know, telling everybody, oh, drones are the, the way of the future. We can have drones everywhere <laughs> doing all kinds of things and other robotic systems. And, um, you know, obviously my, my wife didn't really believe me. She's like, I'm sure it's going to happen. She's like, that's crazy. <laughs> but no, it's been, it's been great to see that it, that's, that's actually the case now. I mean, yeah. almost yeah. every heavy industry or many industries now are using drones and other robotic systems. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's just going to be more and more of that um, yeah. going forward. Well, yeah. you should add visionary on your titles there. Cause <laughs> yeah, there you go. If you start a company that is well, you know, well looking forward like you did, it's very impressive. Yeah. So it's awesome. really cool. How do people find out more? Uh, go to our website. Um, 
emerson.com. Cool. Uh, E-M-E-S-E-N-T. Awesome. Or, or Google Hovermap. So a lot of people know Hover us by, by the product name, um, which is very well known as well. Um, but yeah, Emerson to Hovermap. Go to our website and yeah. check out some videos. Awesome. Nice. Well, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Yeah, good to meet you. you. This Thanks is exciting so stuff. All right. Thank you. Have Cheers. a good show. All right. Next up, we have Jared. Jared, thanks for taking a few minutes to join us. Uh, if you would, just give us a quick self-introduction, who you are, and uh, kind of what you do. Yeah, my name is Jared Janacek, and I am uh, with Texas Drone Company, and we are a drone service provider based out of Dallas okay. and uh, service all of Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas. We're in Mississippi. We're up here in Colorado this week, and cool. um, we service mostly uh, mining aggregates. Um, and then construction, and then also survey and engineering. So kind of three legs that we stand on. Okay. So is that, like, do you guys provide the surveying portion of it, or are you literally just flying, and you work with surveyors that set the ground control and stuff like that? Yeah, we provide the data to the surveyors. Okay. It's up, you know, it's up to them to validate it and, and sign off on it. So, um, but we, and that's mostly going to be a topographical focus. So utilizing LIDAR, yep. photogrammetry, and, um, and then we also have started to, really have those surveyors ask us, oh, can we start to do alto surveys and mm. more and more type of stuff with that? Mm -hmm. And so we're starting to help expand, you know, those mid to small size survey shops and let them have access to the technology yeah. that they yeah. might not understand or, or be able to afford at a large scale. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So what do you, do you do the extraction as well then of the line work and stuff? So or do you we, sub, do you sub that out or something? We can do some of that ourselves. You know, mm -hmm. we might do fences and, you know, power poles or something like that. It's all just kind of added, added benefit. It's not something that we're marketing and trying to mm -hmm. push. Yeah. Uh, it gives, it's more to provide context in our yep. final deliverables. So, um, so we have some capability to do that, but if it's asked for, then we can certainly utilize other services and other subcontractors to help us do that. Yeah. But most of the time, some of the surveyors still like to do that in-house with their draftsmen and things like that so yeah what's your uh, you said that's a three you know a three-legged market right. uh, what's your core where you know where did uh, where did you get your start from and where, where's your core yeah sure from? we got our start just doing stockpiles volumes yeah okay um, and so working with uh, local we have a really thriving uh, environment there with lots of sand and gravel and then also asphalt providers, mm -hmm. ready mix, things like that. So um, we started doing inventory for them on a monthly basis, and then that kind of led to, hey, can you come and do a topo for our mine planning? You know, and can you, you know, shoot this ground? And that was very easy because it's bare earth, you know. So um, it's very easy to utilize photogrammetry and kind of stood as a stepping stone. And then, you know, next thing you know, an engineer gets a hold of that data and they're like, wait a minute, how did you do this so fast? You know, and then right. they're like, hey, well, we have all these other projects. Can you help us start working on that? And then that and that and that and that. You yeah. know? So yeah. it's led to some really cool projects like golf course um, development and things like that, where we're looking at huge tracts of land and, and developing topos in concert with the golf course architects and things like that and, and having mm. some real, real cool access to stuff. How do you, not to give away like any of your, you know, your secrets or anything like that, but something you mentioned there that always like sets an alarm off in my head is you're able to provide this service much faster, you know, right. than conventional surveying can. Um, but that doesn't mean necessarily you should be doing it a lot cheaper. Right. Right? Right. So talk about that just a little bit, um, kind of what the business model is and, uh, you know, how you build value in what you do so that you can get fees that right. you're deserving of. Right, right. So really, utilizing the drone is the easy part. 
yeah. quite honestly. You know, it is, yeah. it's going to fly itself. It's going to map itself. There are some. Yeah, walk, walk around here for about five minutes and you'll see 40 of them that can do all the. <laughs> exactly. You know, so utilizing the drone's the easy part. It starts to get really uh, technical when you're, you know, looking at things like control and understanding, hey, are we on ground or are we shooting grid? You know, are we um, in this geodetic system or are we, you know, because. These systems operate in a totally WGS environment, you know, and we're working in state plane with our, and so being able to understand the language and talk like that with your customers mm. and talk on the same level is something that most just pure drone guys can't do, you know? Yeah. And so um, when you talk that same level and then you can really push into, um, you know, their needs and how you can best provide value for them, sometimes it's just a multiplication of their crews. You know, they don't want to do topo on 130 acres. And you can do it in a couple of days, you know. So, you know, changing the idea of who your customer is and what their deliverable needs to be. And then we partner with them and we ask them, okay, how far do you want us to take this? And then when we say, hey, we can take it a little further, we can take it a little further, they start to really see the value there. And so that's how you build value intrinsically into your product because mm -hmm. it's not, it's no longer just the drone flight. If all you want us to do is go out and capture drone flight, we have to be competitive with the next guy. Mm -hmm. But when we can take that data and bring it in-house and get to a deliverable that it's just plug and play for our clients yeah. and they can learn to trust it and understand it and then they go out and ground truth check the shots that they wanted to get and then deliver that to their client yeah one of the seems like the consistent challenges that exist when you're utilizing you know the drone technology what have you is just making sure everybody understands the datum that it's supposed to be on right because right? yeah. you mentioned it you know mm -hmm. grid ground you know U.S. feed, international feed, although U.S. feed is gone now. They say um, that. Yeah. <laughs> they say that. But um, yeah, you know, they wave the, wave the magic wand and obviously it just yeah. automatically disappeared yeah. from everywhere. It's it still gone. exists in AutoCAD. I don't know. Somebody reminded of us in the, in the class today. They're like, oh, well, U.S. survey feed's not around anymore. I'm yeah. like, oh, really? Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so like, do you have like a fail-safe way to get everybody on the same page before you take that next step on a project? So, you know, I think one thing that we're experimenting with just recently here is we we tried to work in a state plane focused environment where mm -hmm. we were you know getting control in state plane and then of course utilizing something like Pix4D to do that or global map or something like that. But mm -hmm. um, I think you know this is purely just something we're experimenting with is we might just start shooting everything in WGS84. I've talked mm -hmm. to a few peers and yeah. they're just shooting everything like that, and then at the end they'll use something like Global Mapper to get it where it needs to be. Yep. Um, so we might utilize something like that. Um, it's certainly kind of a case-by-case -case basis. Sometimes we have to explain what state plane is to folks. You know, mm -hmm. we have to um, ask them, hey, do you know which zone you're looking at? Like, where do you want to be? Um, but that kind of explanation, that kind of process, it's certainly a learning curve. Yeah, yeah, and you touched on it just a minute ago. Like, there's, you know, drone companies are a dime a dozen out there. Right. And, uh, and I, th I think you may have said it, but just kind of clarify, what separates, you know, Texas drone company from others? Well, Texas Drone Company is not only able to just utilize the drones effectively to get the, the data that you need, we're kind of that collection force for you, but we also understand the technical side of it so that you can trust that data and we can take that data further than just the capture. Mm. So. Got it, got it. You mentioned something earlier too about you know your, your clients if they want to just play around with the drone or like it's almost like it gives them the opportunity to use it on a project. Right. Um, but not have to, you know, get into the drone business. Right. Yeah. So many of our, I mean, from the, the top level companies that we deal with to the smallest guys, they're all like, yeah, we have a drone. 
it's over in that corner. Yeah. And Bob knew how to fly it, but then Bob left. And now that 50 grand is just sitting there. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Or I got one of those too. Yeah. yeah. Or, um, hey, yeah, that's cool. It takes my guy a month to hit all of our sites. Okay, well, we can do them all in a day, you know? Mm. And so when you can force multiply that, yeah. For something like an inventory control and somebody who has 50, 60 sites, and you can say, yeah, we can take that snapshot. It's a true snapshot. You're not paying somebody to go around, and then that becomes their whole job. You know, So yeah. um, we are just trying to, to make a, carve out a, a little trade for ourselves in the data capture and data collection and, mm-hmm. and know our role in that, world, in that world and then also make sure that these industries that we're serving know that that role exists and that they can depend on third parties like us hmm. to capture that data economically for you. And what percentage of your job would you say is educating your clients? Well, it's gotten a lot less, I'll tell you that much. Okay. So when we started six years ago, uh, it seemed like everything we did was education. We had to convince and, and show folks the data on just even a stockpile measurement that, hey, you can trust the drone, drone data. And we still have to do that at, diff, at different levels. Um, as we work with auditors and things like that who are outside of the industry, we have to educate them and show them the technology. But less and less, you know, more so with smaller shops because, of course, they don't have a ton of access to it. They're not coming out to the events like this. Mm-hmm. But um, with the larger folks, yeah, they get it. They understand it. They just know that they need it more than they can do it. Right. Yeah, how many times do you have to have an engineer on the side to calc the stockpile volume just right. to prove that you know what you do right. day in and day out is right. still is right. accurate enough for them to use. Yeah, so we you know we we've run into that only just I mean I can't even count how many times like a few number like less than on one hand yeah. of how many people are like you know what we're going to bring out a secondary source. Now we do have secondary sources such as I mean we're we're thinking about tonnage and things like that so other sources of measurement but just in a simple stockpile calculation there are at least 12 to 16 different variables yeah. of what goes into that pile you have density volumes you have moisture content you have uh, the scale loader the belt loader the conveyor you know all of these different things are going into that one pile so you measure it he measures it but what we the way that we overcome that is with consistency so we look at a pile month over month that isn't changing and we're consistently within one percent oh yeah and then you can show that data so we show that data and we say hey we're within one percent here consistently over and over and over and they're like yep you're right or they might come back and they're oh well this this pile didn't change and you could pull up the dsm and you can say no a bucket was pulled out of it you can clearly see right here Uh, oh yeah that's cool um so yeah there's there's some education that happens still but but not not as much as anymore yeah that's good um I got one more technical question before we get to uh, IMAP shit. Uh, so, like, are you flying everything with LiDAR at this point? Or are there certain projects that are more conducive to LiDAR versus more the traditional route? Man, the reason I love working with dirt guys is because it's all dirt. And so photogrammetry goes a very long way. Uh, you yeah. know? So, LiDAR, yeah, we can do it, but the workflow is so much greater than just a photogrammetry. You could throw up a Mavic 3E. I mean, so our guys can hit eight to 10 sites a day. Mm. You know, and yeah. so when you can do that consistently and really start to amplify and, 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 and show the folks that you can do a lot more than they can by themselves, LiDAR kind of slows us down, but with DJI, with the L1, we haven't experimented with that yet, but it seems a little more plug and play. So yeah. maybe you can, you know, have that kind of be an out of the box type where you can just get up and go. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Go ahead. I was just going to ask about his name tag. It says, I map shit. I mean, we might have to hijack that 
that, that uh, <laughs> I mean, I love the sticker. I own the domain, uh, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, it uh, might not it, be enough, though, huh? It, 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 fits, it, it fits us very well. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so tell, talk about that a little bit. Man, I, um, well, this is a throw to Ken Dono. Uh, he's a FPV kind of guy. He's got his own channel on YouTube with 50,000 subscribers. But he, um, he has a shirt that says, I fly shit. Yep. And so I was like, man, I'm just going to rip you off. And I just did I fly shit. And yeah. so I don't have the shirt on this time, but I've been to a few trade shows with it. And everybody, man, everybody sees it. They're like, oh, man, you're the guy. You've matched it. And I'm like, yeah. So yep. I made up some stickers and domain, and we'll see how far that goes. But it's awesome. a lot of fun. I love it. Yeah, that's cool. Anything else? Yeah, what else you want to get out there? Man, uh, we taught a class with the Pilot Institute. So it's a very kind of introductory course to drone mapping and so if you've never done it before um, you can get a taste of it and for I think it's super cheap Uh, and then there's two more classes and a third one coming for LIDAR so Pilot Institute, Greg Riverdale, those guys are doing awesome work educating the next generation Um, and if you're not involved in a community organization to help further drones and you know, advocate for them and things like that, get involved. Um, I'm a member of AUBSI. I think it's a great organization that helps further uh, the causes of drones and make sure we can keep flying these things. How do people find out more about that uh, program? Um, Well, AUBSI, you can go to AUBSI.org, Pilot Institute, pilotinstitute.com, and um, I'm texasdrone.com, texasdronecompany.com. And I map shit. And And I map shit. I map shit. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, hey, Jared, awesome. thank you so much for your yeah, time. We appreciate it. Appreciate yeah. you guys. Enjoy the Great week. to meet you. Yeah, super excited to be here. All right, next up, we actually have a twofer here. Oh, yeah. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to let these two gentlemen introduce themselves. I'm sure you're familiar with their names. Uh, Chuck, I'm going to let you go first. Just name and uh, who you're with and what you do. Thanks, Kent. I'm Chuck Boatler, and I am the Sales and Business Development Director for XYHT Magazine. All right. And uh, Mr. Gavin? Yeah, um, Gavin Schrock. I'm a uh, practicing land surveyor um, in the Pacific Northwest, and I've been kind of freelance writing for geospatial publications for about 25 years now. Okay. Oh, wow. Uh, and. We're in Denver, which is high altitude and dry, and I had an allergy attack this morning <laughs> that would never happen in Seattle because we're damp. Yeah. So I, you know, my wife said I sound like Barry White. <laughs> How you feeling? Hey, good, good for radio. Good yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm feeling smooth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. So how did you two guys meet? Well, Gavin was already writing for Professional Surveyor magazine. I came on board about 10 years ago. I came on board about 10 years ago with Professional Surveyor Magazine. And uh, when I started, they had this idea of um, wanting to produce something that was a little broader geospatially. Mm -hmm. The name Professional Surveyor kind of put us into a little box. We would go to a show. People would look at the magazine. they say, well, nice magazine, but I'm not a surveyor. Yep. And they wouldn't go much farther into it. So the powers that be at uh, Professional Surveyor Magazine decided to create this entity called XYHT. Uh, Gavin was part of that discussion, and between uh, Gavin, the uh, publisher Neil Sandler at that time, and Dave Doyle, uh, XYHT was was born. We uh, launched it as a rebrand at uh, the Ezra User Conference in 2014, and uh, the rest is history. 
Yeah, um, professional surveyor had been around for 33 years. Oh, really? Yeah, it was one of the oldest and uh, most respected. And, you know, it had different owners over the years. And, hmm. and one of them split off and started uh, American Surveyor. Yep, remember and that. And I had written for these different outfits. And I, I, I kind of left American Surveyor because I wanted to write about other stuff. Um, and then Neil, um, uh, Neil Sandler who was the then publisher of uh, Professional Surveyor, he kind of said, come on over. I got this idea. We want to broaden it a little. Well, the thing was we had, you know, in, in North America, we had three surveying publications. That was not sustainable. Yeah. So those were, it was POB. That was one of them, right? <clears throat> American Surveyor and then Professional Surveyor? Professional Surveyor, yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, the idea was that surveying was going to be the heart and soul of it. But it was going to be able to, uh, you know, things were evolving. Surveyors getting involved in more things. We're going to have a core of boundary type survey. Yep. But as we see now, surveyors getting into reality capture, uh, getting into monitoring, getting into all kinds of other things that the traditional publications wouldn't do. So he had an idea and he thought, we need advice on this. You know, I could see certain things from where I sat, but we thought, oh, Dave Doyle, he's a buddy, and he goes around all the state conferences perpetually, and he's got a good pulse on it. So we pulled him in and, and got us all together to kind of come up with a, a plan and, you know, where it could go, what would be the range of subjects. And wanted a whole new look. A great art director at the time, and then actually great ones since. And then um, needed to, to to kind of market things a little different as well. Yeah. So it was great when we we pulled Chuck in. You know, Chuck had all this great experience with a lot of different industries. So we got the team together, and yeah, like you said, 2014. You know, of course there were people that. Well, if. I'll put it this way. If I post anything online about anything, 15% of the people are going to, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> of course, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's background radiation. But what surprised us was how we picked up people in different disciplines who were all of a sudden signing up. So, yeah, the name sounded pretty damn stupid. Well, uh, I'm sorry. I'm talking too much here. No, no, no go, go ahead. Go, man. Go, go. It's good information. So, so the, na the name XYHT... It wasn't new. It's it's a quasi-geodetic term. Hmm. And Dave Doyle had used it a lot for years. And he and Neil were having having pints at an Irish pub in Frederick, Maryland. And, and he said, you should call it XYHT. Well, Dave was half-joking, but Neil took it to heart and went, wait a minute. That's going to the shock value, you know. Yeah. Well, it did. It stood out. And then, then Neil says, hey, by the way, Gavin, you got to write up what it means. <laughs> hey, if there's anything you're good at, it's writing, right? Oh, I, I, I've got a shovel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now, so that was how long ago that? Like, when was the official genesis of XYHT? About 2012. Uh, yeah, uh, you all started talking about it before I came on board in 2013 in our yep. uh, rollout party was really uh, 2014 Esri and to tell you the truth Kent when yeah. I came on board I mean I come from a 40 year uh, marketing strategy and media planning background myself 
I thought XYHT was an inside joke. I did not <laughs> yeah. have any idea what that was all about. So I needed Gavin and Dave to explain it to me. Yeah. Because if they wanted me to sell it out there in the public, I better darn sight sure know what they're talking about on this one. Yeah. So what, like, what were you doing before you came on board with X, XYHT then? Were you... Uh, I have done some marketing consulting. I've done okay. some media planning for ad agencies. Got I've it. worked in the newspaper business, the online business, and the magazine business prior to that. Yep. Hmm. Got it. Got it. So where are you at now, like as far as exponential growth from 2014 to now? We feel fortunate. Um, print media has taken a little bit of a hit over the last mm-hmm. couple of years. You know, you tend to get people who use words like uh, nobody and everybody way too much. Mm. Nobody Mm. reads print anymore, you know, or everybody is doing this now. And if you take that to heart, uh, you can just be throwing darts at the wall as far as what you're going to do next. We've been fortunate in that we haven't lost circulation (laughs) since that time. We rebranded. We still put out 20,000 mailed copies out there to geospatial professionals and 10,000 digital. And the advertisers that work with us on a consistent basis and use a multimedia approach, um, they are reaching a great audience of qualified buyers. They're the people making decisions uh, for their companies, and we appreciate them every day. And you know, I, I was talking to another guy over here at the show, and he said, well, yeah. you all have done some really great things for yeah. us over the last couple of years. Yeah. Oh, the content's amazing. Well, the, It just uh, keeps getting better. The digital circulation is not just the, the digital print issue. Mm. It's individual articles and the way they go through social media globally. Mm. I mm. was taken aback that I'll go to a conference somewhere overseas and someone will go, oh, excite. Yeah. <laughs> We're excited. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um... <laughs> That's worked. That's worked pretty pretty good. Yeah, and you know we, we do we pay our dues to sing our blues. You know we we post in the survey, um, you know the groups and the, and the forums and things. Yeah. but we we get it out there. But the crossover industries have, have um, been really good for us as well. Yeah, we we took it to heart that the readers said just way too much geospatial technology. Uh, so uh, a lot of the content we want that core of surveying. And then we get surveyors going, wait a minute, we want to know about the cool stuff. So like you said, we're throwing darts sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is so much to glean from now in the geospatial umbrella. It's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I used to think I was, you know, deep geeky. And I, I go to these things and I'm walking around going, shit, I, I bleep. <laughs> um, it's, an adult, it's, an adult, no. it's an adult show, Gavin. Yeah. It's okay. Um, bleep, bleep. Uh, you know, this I've never heard of this. Holy crap! And I'm supposed to know about this stuff. So, yeah, um, yeah. We, you know, we still get the question: What the heck does XYHD stand for? Yeah. Okay. The, uh, you know, waxing poetically, it's the dig- digital DNA of geospatial. <clears throat> Think about a human. How does the human uh, view the world? Uh, X and Y. Four into the side, and then. H, which is uh, height. height, and wait, let me yeah. guess. And, and then height in relation to the Earth, not yeah, and then T is the temporal. Okay. And actually, if you think about it, surveying instruments mimic humans. Total station, a scanning total station, 
it's all thinking and working in X, Y, H, T. Because, you know, it's not X, Y, Z. Well, Z is Cartesian. You know, that's Cartesian. No, mm-hmm. Dave, Dave was right. H, big H, relating it to the earth and the way humans view the earth. So, yeah, I had to write like an 11-page expl- <laughs> apology, no, explanation of what that meant. But um, I see that term popping up here and there, though. So, yeah. so The one thing we have to mention is subscriptions <laughs> to XYHT are free. Totally. Right? Yeah, for the yeah, most yeah. part, yes. U.S.-based subscribers can get either print or digital at no cost. Yep. Uh, we do ask to cover some postage for foreign uh, mailed subscriptions, but anyone across the globe can get it uh, yeah. digitally. Yeah. And so do you have, like, I mean, obviously Gavin's one of the contributors to the magazine. Do you have a list of others that are consistent contributors as well? Yeah, we have, what, about a half dozen that are fairly regular that work with us? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, and it's kind of funny. We, we got some, you know, we, we started doing the 40 under 40 years ago. Yeah, that's awesome. I shouldn't oh, say yeah. we. I'm a, I'm a freelance writer that writes for you guys occasionally. So. <laughs> I, saw, I saw that on the last one, yeah. If my wife, if my wife knows that I'm tied to any publication, she's going to, they, they, they talked me into not taking <laughs> on too much. Um, yeah, there's uh, Mark... Um, Delgado. Mark Delgado. So some of our 40 under 40s became writers. That was part of my ulterior motive for starting the 40 under 40. Any help. But uh, Mark Delgado, brilliant. Um, Worked all over the world, speaks like seven languages, and just writes this brilliant stuff. Juan Plaza writes about uh, aerial stuff often. Um, Trying to think. So how, like, how... How far in advance is the publication prepared? Is it like two months? Like is the February edition like done two months prior? How do, what does that timing look like? Well, we're done with, with March. We've sent that off to the printer and March's issue will be seen at uh, Con Expo, Ag Expo. Okay. Uh, in addition to our su- subscriber base, we're working now on uh, April's issue. Okay. Uh, I'm sure our editor Jeff Thorson already has that content in the works. Mm-hmm. So we're usually working two or three months in advance. Two or three months, and you, and you have an editorial calendar, which actually is really helpful for the advertisers as well. And that can coincide with some of the big trade shows. Like March is going to be, <clears throat> you know, when there's Con Expo, March will have uh, construction till. Mm. Uh, big drone show, you might have. Uh, content tilted at that as well. Right, with sure. a- AUVSI being in May <coughs> and the commercial UAV show yeah. in September, uh, we'll have some content geared towards UAVs for both of those and distribute sure. those at the shows too. Yep, and you've got a Heights supplement. It's a, a 13th issue that uh, Heights is, is it April every year? It, it's paired with April, it's a double edition, uh, one that uh, really focuses on all things aerial. Mm. Uh, aerial okay. mapping, remote sensing, sure. LIDAR. Mm. Yeah, uh, you know, piloted and unpiloted. You know. Yep, yep, and I know you did something to like uh, get kids into survey this past year, right? <coughs> yeah, we, we teamed with Elaine Ball. Yep. Um, we were able to get the poster um, paid for on her end, and we could pay our printer to distribute it. Uh, in there, and uh, that was well received. A lot of a lot of social media chatter about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, has the dust settled on the uh, name change? 
and and if it has, what's what's the big next thing coming, or what's the next evolution for XYHT? I don't know that the dust will ever settle, <laughs> because just because I can go around here and people who have seen the magazine will still say, "Oh yeah, what's up with XY height or <laughs> X height?" Yeah. Yep. Or a previous competitor referred to us as Exit once. Oh, jeez. Ooh, that's <laughs> but, pretty good, actually. <laughs> uh, but it means they're paying attention. It's yeah, true. Exactly. It, ca- it catches somebody's yeah. eye. It's yep. like, what the hell? I mean, I got to be honest with you. When I first saw it, I thought it was Excite. Yeah. Yep, yep. But now we know. Now we know. We know the backstory. Yeah. So what's next? What's the... What can we expect, or what? Uh, any kind of changes, or what? Uh, what's new and exciting? What are you guys excited about? Well, I mean, I think this this uh, partnership here with Geoholics is going to send us, you know, above and beyond to the moon, <laughs> to the moon, to the moon. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, let's talk about that just a little bit. It was probably, gosh, before the end of last year, um, we started a conversation, and it just made <laughs> sense that we form this strategic partnership where we uh, help each other out as far as promotion goes. Sure. And uh, yeah, it's like a match made in heaven as far as I'm concerned. It's a win-win. Yes, it is definitely a win-win. For sure. Um, That's cool. Is there ever such like, is there like an audio version type thing? You know what I mean? Because so many people are listening to like audio books and things like that. Is there such thing as like an audio magazine? Well, you know, you sounds can, like a lot of work, probably. The, you know, the PDF you can turn on PDF reader, and then mm. it sounds like you know, uh, it sounds like a robotic elevator. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about? Can, why don't you just uh, read from cover to cover oh, my each monthly episode? <laughs> but no, no. And put it out there. Everyone loves the sound of your voice, so <laughs> no. I think that's I think that's a good idea. No, I'm like you may Gavin have to right may now. have to describe the visuals a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, yes. page three. There's a guy yeah. pointing to yeah. something yeah. and. Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, you know, there was the podcast route for a while, but, you know. Yeah, well, actually, I had a podcast. Yeah. Were you doing it? Well, that was, you know, I kept getting things dumped on me, and uh, yeah. there were folks there that weren't, uh, that aren't there anymore that weren't keeping up. Measured this. Oh, yeah. Was that yeah, it? Which I came up with that. And that, yeah. was, that was almost yeah, a bit yeah. of a joke. But, you know, we, we like we like the, the humor, you know. It was like. The handout at the when we launched at the Esri conference was a little packet of mints called measurements, oh, and it had a it had a scale on it. I love that. It had a oh, you know a decimal feet scale on that it. That is oh, genius. Man. So um, there was you know enough podcasts out there where um, where XYHT could could focus is uh, subjects. You know when when there's content that hitting a subject there's uh, outfits that do these webinars that um, we've we've actually uh, partnered in and hosted some oh okay so uh, but you know you guys are out there doing this and Mon- uh, mentoring Mondays is Trent's doing a great job with yeah, that that, yeah. is a, that is a national treasure absolutely <clears throat> so um, oh no if you want us to come on and read our publication yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right maybe not a good idea <laughs> no um <clears throat> Things that could be happening is, well, we want to stay a little bit uh, more ahead of the changes in the industry and the trends. Mm. So um, probably going to be doing a little bit more of the analysis of of the markets for surveying services. Um, Just talking to some outfits that do that full time and work content on that. But also keeping up on the not just the tech, but how people are adopting and, you know, 
a, tech, a technology project is not just a technology project, it's a change project. And technology can't fix a broken process. Okay, beyond the core of boundary surveying that has to stay the way it is. Yeah. Beyond that, there's a lot of broken processes that, you know, I worry that other people that are adopting things faster are gonna take work that surveyors should be doing. So I really wanna push, well, I'm speaking for me and not for the publication, but I, I know you guys put out great content in this area, is, is promote, um, let's stay ahead of those non-surveyors. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. Like, um, you know, chat GPT, that's something out there that, ugh, don't get me going on that. But do you see anything like, as far as uh, artificial intelligence goes, playing a role in the boundary specific side of surveying? Um, I got asked to, to research that um, and I did my first presentation on it at the North Dakota conference mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of 15 below North Dakota in December. Yeah. Um, I think when I'm not going to lose my voice, maybe maybe I'll tell you what I've come up with and um, that'll be uh, that'll be in print eventually. Nice. The research I did on that. Uh, the short answer is, of course, you're not going to replace boundary surveying with AI. But in the areas where it can reduce the mundane tasks, it can make somebody more efficient. So, um, I think that's a topic for another show. I think it is, but yeah. uh, it's a good idea. We will talk about that offline for sure. I would love to have that conversation. Absolutely. Anything else you guys want to get out there? Seeing it's good on our end. Uh, yeah. We're happy to be partnered with you. Uh, yeah. I hope we can drive some additional uh, subscribers your way. And hopefully, if your folks have not discovered XYHT Magazine yet, just go on to XYHT.com, get a free subscription, and see what you think. Yeah, it's going to make yeah. you smarter. Yeah, you will not be dumber after, no. after checking it out. I can nope. tell you that. No, it definitely... Uh, jolt somebody the content does does do the jolt that we had hoped for um, and then if somebody's at GeoWeek right now and they go sign up for a su- free subscription they get a chance to win this little DJI drone wow well, that's and cool. what is the uh, what does it say stump the editor what is that oh Pitch. Yeah. Pitch the editor. Yeah. If someone has a good story idea that's not overly <clears throat> promotional. Yeah. But it, but would make a good case yeah. study client story. That's a great Absolutely. Idea. Got our editor ah, here. That's cool. That's a great that's idea. Awesome. I'm yeah. sure Sean's got some ideas. Oh, um, no, actually, they're just spilling out. Um, I want to. I'm looking to write some content uh, for this and other publications on this one subject. The and so I'm asking your listeners, if anybody is going through this get in touch with me I want to do case studies so there's the trying to go to the cloud you know your data collectors tied to the cloud your, your office software is and then your your client the contractor you know whatever but I'm getting mixed reviews on how that's going I want to hear real stories about mm, that. okay so interesting well on that note how can folks uh, get a hold of you guys I mean first of all the website where they go to get the subscription what is that xyht.com slash subscribe. Subscribe, easy enough there. And then, Gavin, what's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Um, Yeah, just Google me. 
LinkedIn, are you active on LinkedIn? I'm on LinkedIn. That's that's a really good way to do it. Yep. Yep. And awesome. and everyone can reach out to the Geoholics and we can uh, we can connect you as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, hey, thank you, gentlemen. Yes. Appreciate your time. It's been great, Chuck. Uh, good for us to finally uh, you know meet and get to chat in person. And Gavin, always a pleasure, my friend. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Enjoy dudes. the week, guys.